For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Etheridge. We are here to recap week nine around the SEC. We are at the halfway point, believe it or not, of SEC conference play. Five weeks down, five more to go. So we're, you know, we can start to draw some conclusions now. Things are starting to come into focus. Other things are getting blurrier we'll talk a little bit about about that as, as we go on but before we do any of that i have to let you know that this episode of highway to hoover and every episode of highway to hoover this season is presented by brock's gap brewing company in hoover alabama and after weeks and weeks and weeks of teasing our live show and just telling you it's going to be may 22nd i actually have honest to goodness details this time around um, as you listen to this, the the, t- the ticketing site for that to get your tickets um, will likely be live. And if not, we'll be live shortly. We'll obviously be tweeting out links to that, uh, putting links in our show notes moving forward. We will not keep it a secret where you need to go, <laughs> I promise, to get to get tickets. But but here are the, the basic details. May 22nd, 7 p.m. Again, Brock's Gap Brewing Company. We, we That's all been the same all along. A ticket will be $15, but... Not only does that $15 get you the opportunity to come look at Mark and I in the flesh, and we apologize. This is just how we look. Yeah. We can't do much about that. Yeah. We're really sorry, but you'll just have to look at us. But you'll hear us, and that's pretty good. I'd like to think we sound pretty good. So you'll get to uh, hear us do a, basically a, an SEC tournament preview edition of Highway to Hoover. That's what we're going to be focusing on. But with your ticket, you get that. You also get the opportunity to, ahead of time, um, send in a question for us to answer on stage. We're going to be doing a few of those and no, we are not going to do this like an improv show where we hand you the microphone and just let you, uh, you know, ask whatever question you want, because, um, we don't trust you that much, frankly. And once you start getting into that Brock scat brew, uh, who knows what could happen there? We're trying yeah, to, keep we know our clean. audience. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to keep you all clean. Okay. We're trying to keep you out of trouble. You'll thank us later. So you will have the opportunity to send in questions ahead of time once you buy a ticket also you will get one uh draft beer from brock's gap brewing company that's pretty cool uh, i've heard good things about their uh, about their stuff i'm excited to to try it out for myself um and uh there will also be as part of the 15 dollars, a five dollar donation to a local organization called arts and autism um, which is a cause near and dear to now both of our hearts because i'm on team team etheridge but um i'll let mark tell you a little bit about this organization and, and why we went this direction yeah and and thanks joe Uh, we wanted to do something you know give something back uh as part of this part of this event so we started looking at local charities and and i do have some experience with this um my daughter was born in the tuscaloosa area and 
she was diagnosed with autism uh, in at, at the University of Alabama. So, so obviously you go through something like this and you're reaching out for resources. You're trying to find out what to do, what not to do, all those good, good things. And, and this was an organization that really helped us. And it's, it's a way for, for children to, who are on the autism spectrum to go in and, and have a support group, uh, have learned, uh, art and trades and skills and social skills and have therapy and all of these cool things that they also desperately need. And this was a big part of my daughter's early life. And we've since moved away and lived in many different places, but we always had that pullback, right? To, to people who helped you when you really needed it. So for, uh, for me, it's a personal uh, charity and uh, I'm so thrilled that, that we're going to be able to, uh, to, to, to play a role with this organization and kind of partner with them or at least for at least for one night yeah absolutely i'm excited to do it too like it's it's um you know it's like mark said we wanted to kind of have a giving back aspect of this event from the very very beginning um and we're, we're excited to do it local um just given that that area is uh, so good to college baseball, so good to the SEC tournament, and and the folks at Brock's Gap have been so good to us and in, in putting this event on. So we're we're kind of excited to to pay that forward, if you will, um, with, with arts and autism. And so really really cool deal. Obviously, you you know if if you as a person are so inclined to 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 do something yourself, their website is arts in just the letter in arts in autism org. Um, you know, if you'd like to kind of do something on your own to donate to the, or get involved if you live locally. So, uh, that's our charitable endeavor with this event. So again, uh, just wrapping it all up, May 22nd, 7 PM Brock's gap brewing company live show with, uh, Mark and I previewing the sec tournament, 15 bucks per ticket. Yeah. Uh, and go ahead, supplies are limited. So go ahead and ah, uh, yes, don't delay. Go, go ahead yeah. and, and get, reserve your spot. That is a great point. So yeah, 15 bucks for the show opportunity to ask a question for us to answer uh, a draft beer and the $5 donation to arts and autism per ticket. And yes, Mark brings up a good point. It is a, a limited number. Uh, we're doing it in a specific room within the tap room. Uh, the bar they will be serving draft beer from uh, is in that room with us. So you will not have to go back out to, to the tap, the main tap room to get, to get your drink. Also just by the way, if, if you, if you do not, if you do not drink, by all means, we will we will find a way to get you something that's not a draft beer for your trouble um, for, for the ticket. So, don't fret if you are if you are not an alcohol drinker. You are obviously more than than welcome. We're happy to have you, um, and, and we will find we will find some other beverage, tasty beverage for you um, instead of a instead of a draft beer. So that um, I think that's all the details. Oh, but I was saying um, it, it is a limited number of spots, frankly, because. Mark and I can never be sure that it's not just going to be the two of us talking to each other. Um, so, you know, we, we did want to cap it at a fairly low number, but look, if, if the demand is really high, um, Brock's gap has bigger spaces yeah. <laughs> in, in their building. Um, and so we talked about it with them, but we ultimately went with a smaller space. But again, if, 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 if we are lucky enough that y'all really turn up and, and, and in numbers and, there's more people wanting to get in than we have space for this year. I can promise you next year we'll we'll do something to make it right and, and get as many people in as, as we absolutely can. So we appreciate the support you guys have given us all season. 
we're sincerely, honestly, genuinely looking forward to, to meeting y'all at this at this live show. And even if you can't get into the show, come hang out at Brock's Gap. Mark and I are not going to, uh, you know, act like celebrities here and sneak out a back door when we're done with the show. We're we're happy to shake some hands and meet some folks and and have a drink with you. So uh, come out and see us. Whether you're going, whether you you pay to get in or not, we can just hang out in the tap room afterwards. So looking forward to all of that. Okay, Mark, uh, why don't we talk some ball? Um, Let's do it. Biggest series of the weekend, Vanderbilt, South Carolina yeah. uh, in Nashville. And again, a series that I think you know, South Carolina had opportunities, especially after winning that first game. But I do think it's another series where you come out thinking, hey, South Carolina looks the part. I mean, there's a reason. It's not the only reason, but there's a reason they held steady in the D1 baseball top 25. I mean, part of it was because there was a lot of carnage in the top 25 rankings over the weekend, but it's also just because, Hey, look, I mean, they, they, you know, they've now played LSU Vanderbilt back-to-back weeks and have looked, looked like they belong on those fields with those, those teams that we think are elite. So I I was kind of still impressed with South Carolina there, but I think you have to be really impressed with Vanderbilt when you consider, you know, they they got, they had a situation where they had, you know, Carter Holton started, but through less than an inning and um, you know, they they still managed to to win two games in the series and they got great bullpen work. It's just like, you know, it wasn't like the way that you Vanderbilt would have drawn it up to get it done. And yet yeah. they they win the series. And so I think you have to come out impressed with the way they were able to kind of scrap and fight and, and win games in a way in which earlier in the year we were talking about, man, this team is just gonna have to pitch it clean pretty pretty much every weekend to get to get wins. And and now they've shown us that they can do a heck of a lot more than that. Yeah. I think the the big thing for me is that both teams were missing a, a key rotation member. And then on top of that, Vandy, I mean, Holton just wasn't himself, right? He didn't last an inning. It's, I mean, it's probably the worst outing of his career. And, you know, the, for Vanderbilt to be down a guy and then your ace not have a good day and you still had enough pitching and, I mean, they found guys. I mean, Riley came in who really hadn't done a whole lot this year. And was he? He was dealing. So th- that to me just shows the depth that Vanderbilt has on the uh, from a pitching standpoint, and also kind of to your point that they can win with their offense, and that is a game changer, right? If you can win multiple ways, you know we've talked about all these different teams that kind of have to outscore you. Uh, Vanderbilt can outscore you, but they can also you know, beat you with their arms. And that's, and they did a little bit of both. And that was, I mean, it's a huge, huge series because Vandy hasn't had the most challenging schedule to date uh, within the conference. Obviously their non-conference was strong and that's changing, right? Um, Certainly with South Carolina, I mean, they also go to, uh, they they go to Tennessee who's, you know, wounded and dangerous, um, you know, there's there's the Kentucky series, there's Florida looming. I mean, there's a lot left for, for the Commodores. And, and But they have a genuine chance to win the SEC right now. And I think coming in, we thought maybe they would be, it'd be good, but maybe not, you know, top one or two in the conference. Not, you know, but they, right now, you're hard pressed to find anyone who's who's playing better than them right now, especially as shorthanded as they were on the mound this weekend. I think that's fair. I think the expectation kind of was that 
Vanderbilt would be maybe a second tier, which is still mm-hmm. very good, right? I mean, because you can the you SEC. can be the <laughs> yeah you could be the yeah. seventh best team in the SEC and and be in the top you know twelve of the country or something, right. but. Um, I, but I think the idea was that they might be the best team of the second tier, but they might be a second tier team in the SEC. And, and they've really blown through those expectations. And, and a big part of it has been the offense coming alive in SEC play. I mean, don't look now, but after a slow start, Bradfield has really come on. He's now in the top mm-hmm. 10. If, if you if you isolate SEC games, he's in the top 10 in batting average on base and slugging. RJ Shrek has been pretty consistent all throughout, but he's in the top five in SEC games in batting average on base percentage and slugging. So those two guys have been really, really consistent. And, and they, it's a great point about finding new, new guys on the mound because they've also, they've been shorthanded generally. Like it's not just Holton and Owen recently, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they've, they've had some bullpen arms that have been down for a while. Dukanich has been down for mm-hmm. quite a while now. Um, and they're getting a little bit healthier, but getting a guy like Patrick Riley, who we thought was going to be a big part of it coming into the season, getting, getting him going would be, would be huge. I mean, that's, that's kind of the opposite of what typically happens this time of year when bullpens get shorter and options get uh, condensed and and you start to lose trust in guys. Vanderbilt could be in a position between the guys getting healthy and a guy like a Patrick Riley being more consistent. You know, they could be in a situation where their pitching staff might actually lengthen as time goes on. And that's, that's an enviable place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the other thing just to, to, to point out here, you know, with South Carolina is they have, they've proven they can play with anybody these last couple of weeks. If there were those, if there were doubters out there, I think they're, they're winning them over. I mean, this is a really good club, but you know what? You got big, bad Florida coming in this weekend. So it's, it just, it continue, you continue to have to prove yourself. And, and that's a, that's the marquee series for me kind of heading into the weekend. Yeah, and it's, it's, it feels like it's going to be a differentiator in is South Carolina a team that we look at as a host or a team that we look at as a top eight? Uh, mm-hmm. That feels like they're, they're going to have to get one of these series eventually if they want to be a top eight. And, um, you know, they're going to have opportunities, but they are running out of opportunities because the, the last two weeks are two opportunities gone to win series like that. And I, I tweeted over the weekend, just just one more thing, by the way, because it got some, it got some um, traction online. I think some people... Um, you know, there were people reacting to it as I tweeted about how South Carolina's lineup, I think there's some hand wringing and, and this isn't just in college baseball. It just isn't this year. I think in, in baseball general, generally speaking, and I don't know if it's just because baseball tends to be a game that loves its history and has a very specific idea of how the game should be played. I, I'm not really sure, but, but there does tend to be hand wringing whenever you have an offense that gets a lot of production from the home run. And there's an old school thinking that, well, you know, that's going to go, there's just going to be days where the ball's not flying and your offense is going to get stagnant. And, and we, and we've seen that, right? I mean, South, we talked about South Carolina's 2021 offense. Like it has happened to South Carolina before. And as recently as a few weeks ago, I was kind of saying things on this podcast. Like I'm interested to see what South Carolina's offense looks like when the ball's not flying out of the yard. But now we're a few weeks down the road and they've continued to, to, to be able to be a successful offense with a lot of home runs. And I'm kind of at a point now where I just think with the game, even within the sec being as home run friendly as it is right now, yeah. I I'm actually not so sure that it's not just a benefit that South Carolina does that better than anybody because yeah, that's, that's just, point. it's just clear that that is the game right now. And I'm actually almost more skeptical now 
of offenses that don't have the ability to bail themselves out by being able to get one big swing to hit a three-run home run. The offenses that have to string five, six, seven hits or walks or whatever together in, in, in an inning to score a crooked number, I'm actually a little more skeptical of those offenses than I am about the big swingers because the game right now rewards physicality. Yeah, that's a good point. And obviously you want to do as many things well as possible, but being just just incredible at one thing is that that's a difference maker, right? It's yeah. it's strength finder. You know, that that whole concept of I wanted I want to put myself in position to do what I do best more most often and and not worry about the thing and don't try to do the things that I'm not good at. And I think that South Carolina is a is a case study in it. And, you know, and the, the other thing is they get on base at a high clip. They take their walks, which is that's kind of what I think part of what the, the underlying thing that makes it work, because, yes, there are inevitably going to be solo home runs. But if you're able to draw some walks and work some counts and get guys on base more often, you're going to be hitting two and three run home runs. And that's that's where you really start cooking, because those are the big the big numbers. But. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, moving forward, uh, Arkansas swept Tennessee. I felt like that was maybe the second biggest headline of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, I think you could almost make an argument it'd be the biggest headline just in the big picture sense, because South Carolina Vanderbilt was a more of a marquee series between two higher ranked teams. But in the, in the big picture, I'm not sure how much more we learned about those two teams because it kind of just validated things we already thought. But Arkansas yeah. sweeping Tennessee, I thought was pretty loud. Not so much on the Arkansas side because I think we we knew like we we've just gushed the last few weeks about Arkansas's ability to to continue to win games even when it's not necessarily pretty. But, but they just beat the brakes off Tennessee for lack of a better way of putting it. I mean, I've got a, a cadre of stats here as I read them. If you're watching on the video, you can see me looking at my page now. Tennessee hasn't won a series in Fayetteville since 1996. That was uh, just prior to Baumwalker Stadium opening. Now, to be fair, different divisions. They, play that often. they don't play every yeah. year. Yeah. So we're not talking about 25 instances of this, right? Or I guess heavy half that, you know, 12 instances of this. But still, that's a long time. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Arkansas held Tennessee to seven total runs, which is the fewest in a series made up of three nine-inning games that Tennessee has scored since 2019. So... Um, just some, some historic stuff there for Arkansas, just on all fronts. And I guess my most interesting thing, and I will answer this question too. So I'm not just putting Mark on the spot here. And then, you know, I'm not just throwing a hand grenade in in the room and then closing the door behind me. Tennessee's five and 10 in the league. Mm -hmm. Are they going to miss a regional mark? Well, I would say right now they're on target to go. They're going to be in that 12 and 18, 13 and 17 range. And if you're in that range, you probably need to win some games in Hoover. So, yeah, it's it's certainly possible. Now, the flip side of that is if the rotation gets it figured out, they can sweep somebody because they'll just hold you down. But they haven't. We keep waiting on it, right? And the other part of that is – I mean, those pitchers have to feel like all the pressure is on them because the offense just is not producing. They have made cha- made lineup changes. They've this week they shuffled the rotation. 
um, brought Chase Burns out of the pen, and he was the best he's been all year, you know. Um, but th- but they didn't get a great start. So it's, you know, you're already beat by the time you bring him in. It's just, it's like all of the the moving pieces on the chessboard, they're certainly moving them around, but they just aren't getting the results they want when they do it. Um, it's a, it, it's fascinating because no one's doubting the talent, especially on the mound. I mean, they've got seven, eight guys that anybody wants, right? The, the offense, there, there's, there's some guys there. They're just not producing and they're not getting the clutch hit. And that's, that's a problem, especially when the schedule is as tough as it is. I mean, right now they have played the fifth most challenging intra-conference schedule uh, and you can read read about that in the in the weekend dish that I posted uh, Monday morning and the interesting part of that is their remaining schedule that's left to play is also the fifth toughest usually if you've already played a challenging schedule it gets easier right and everyone else it does flip not Tennessee for whatever reason their schedule this year is the most challenging, uh, certainly inside the conference, at least according to the to the numbers, based on how the results have gone down this so far this season. So it's a fair question. Are they going to be in a regional? If I had to guess, I'd say, yeah, I think talent wins out over the long haul. But TikTok, man, it's in, in with Vandy coming in this weekend. That's the number one team in the conference right now. And. They just can't afford to get swept. They're one and eight in SEC road games. You can't get swept. You've got to be able to to at least steal one on the road in these tough environments. And they they got one at LSU, and that's that's it so far. And they've, st- they've still got some some other tough tough opponents left. It's it's an uphill climb. Yeah, they're the interesting thing about their schedule is they just got a brutal crossover draw this year where I, I'm scrolling through. They, so they, they miss Alabama. They miss Auburn. Mm-hmm. And let me, they're, they got A&M. So I, yes, they're missing Ole Miss. So yeah, they're missing. <laughs> I mean, that's where it is right there. Basically yeah. they're missing Alabama, Auburn and Ole Miss. And those are three under 500 teams in the conference. And they would have loved to have played Mississippi state, you know, a month ago. Because right. right. Yeah, now, Mississippi State is a lot more competent now than they were. They are yeah. different. Yeah, for sure. Just to put some numbers on, because I, I think there's some a lot of focus on what's wrong with the pitching, what's wrong with the pitching, and I I get it because we expected that to be the best rotation in college baseball. So I'm not saying that that's not a concern, but I think the offense has been the the more under discussed part of it. So just in SEC games, they're batting 240, which is 12th in the conference. They are getting on base at a 349 clip, which is 10th. They're slugging 402, which is 11th. Uh, they are 12th in runs scored. They are 10th in home runs, which in their ballpark, you know, like that's kind of an indictment that, you know, because it's an offensive ballpark and that's a team kind of built with, with some power guys. They lead the conference in strikeouts. So that's just a sampling, but that kind of gives you an idea of, where they're at. It's just not a very productive offense right now. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of a kind of surprising, not as surprising as the struggles of, of Dolander and Burns in particular, but that is also surprising. So you, you, 
you kind of mix that all up and you get a five and 10 team in the conference. And uh, I also will say that I'm going to bet on them making it. I think it's a skin of their teeth kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced of the fact that there's just another gear with this team right now, barring Dolander and Burns magically turning back into the versions of themselves from last year. Because if if that happens, then all bets are kind of off there. But it's a different team at that point. Yeah, but it's just like okay, it's just hard to. I mean, we're we're pretty deep into this thing now, so it's it's a little bit hard to imagine that switch totally flipping. So assuming that's not the case, then I I think this team kind of is what it is, and and I think there's there is a higher ceiling than what they're hitting. They're not yeah. untalented, we know that, but um, I think it is kind of a skin of their teeth thing that they get in that that's my that's my feel for it yeah the other side of that is arkansas was a terrible matchup for them because arkansas is not they're a team that's not going to beat themselves they're going to make all the plays they're going to be in the game they're going to pitch you know and and right now that even with all the injuries they figured out the the pitching and they've been able to have a you know a one starter and one bullpen guy and and for each game, and this is what we're going with. And if you can beat us, good luck because we're not going to beat ourselves. And that's, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's working. It's really working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hunter Holland at this point has had like what one bad start. I mean, he's yeah. been consistently excellent. And you're right about the bullpen piece. I mean, Hagen Smith, Gage Wood, and Dylan Carter, all three were yep. in each eat in a different game, were all three just unbelievable in their outings. And yeah. So, the, I mean, that was the big key of me for, for me for Arkansas was just that once those guys were in the game, it was just kind of over. Um, because outside of Holland, it's not as if they got, I mean, it's not as if they got shut down efforts on the mound necessarily. Nobody was out there challenging to throw a shutout or, or anything like that, but it, um, it didn't get easier for Tennessee when walking the ballpark, like a lot of teams are. Yep, and, right. and, and so that's what Tennessee needs. They need to play some of these teams that are going to give you errors and give you walks and, and hit batters and things to free bases, right? Free advances in Arkansas. That's not, that's not them. Right. So Arkansas continues to, uh, to continues to roll on. It's, um, you know, just a metronome of consistency at, at this point. Um, and Tennessee, you know, I'll be, I'll be there for at least one game, perhaps multiple games of the series this weekend between Vanderbilt and Tennessee and Knoxville, it's a little bit of a danger situation for Vanderbilt just because Tennessee is, is backed into a corner at this point. Um, they, they got to do something. They, they are officially in the Ole Miss zone from last year where it was like, mm-hmm. they are basically entirely out of rope. Ole Miss, by the way, is also in the Ole Miss zone. <laughs> Again, we will, we will talk about that later. They're but, even deeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, They're even the, Ole Misser. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Them getting into the postseason this year is a more impressive feat perhaps than, than what they did last year, if they were to pull it off. But Tennessee is right there. I mean, the nadir for Ole Miss last year was seven and 14 and um, Tennessee's sitting at five and 10. So they're, I mean, they're, they're right yeah. there kind of in a similar place. So um, all right, let's move on. LSU snuck pa- past Kentucky. Um, that felt again, I, I felt like, there was some positive take from both things here. I think with LSU, I mean, first of all, with LSU, let me start here. I spent a lot of the week, uh, I do a weekly radio hit in, in Baton Rouge. And so I, I spent that <laughs> much of my radio hit that last week saying like, look, 
I get why there's concern about the pitching staff. I'm not saying there shouldn't be, but here's why it may be an overreaction to worry this much about it. And then LSU kind of went out and showed like why exactly we should be worried about the pitching. Um, so, you know, I may have to do a mea culpa on my, my radio hit this coming week in Baton Rouge, but, um, it, it just, yeah, it was, it was a white knuckle ride for LSU. And even, I mean, they, they got out to such a fast start on, on Thursday against Kentucky that it made it to where it's easy to overlook the fact that like Skeens got hit and it's mm-hmm. the second week in a row that Skeens has gotten hit a little bit compa- compared to the way he'd been hit before. Let's yeah. be very clear. Standards. Um, so high. Yeah. yeah. We're talking relative here. So that kind of got papered over in a good way because LSU scored so much, but the last two days were just white knuckle and they, they were lucky to win that series. I don't say lucky because they, they, their offense really did its thing there, but they, um, you know, had to, had to make a late comeback to win the, the finale, to win that series. Kentucky was right there. The really after like the second inning on Thursday, Kentucky was right there with them the whole time. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think my, my concern about it is, is, has been elevated a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how much of, of this you saw and kind of your general take on, on what LSU is on the mound, but I, I came out of the weekend just, you know, a little more concerned than I was coming in because one of the things I'll, I'll put a point on it with this is that yes, the bullpen is inconsistent. Yes. You know, Thatcher Hurd had another tough outing. Christian little couldn't get deep into the game in his start. But for me, the whole, the whole linchpin of this thing is Ty Floyd because of schemes yeah. is still schemes. And Ty Floyd can just be solid, you know, and, and be a guy who can give you six quality innings and maybe every once in a while is, is outstanding, gives you seven or eight. I think you're you're in pretty good shape if you're LSU, but more often than not recently, he's not been able to give them that. And that, to me, feels like as much of a problem as, as anything else for them. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the second starter. That's You know what you're getting with Skeens, and everybody's a crapshoot on Sunday, basically. So it's it's getting that second start. And Floyd has been inconsistent, and honestly, he's been down more than he's been up. And and that's the troubling part, I think, going forward, especially when your numbers are down, you know, with with these injuries. Hopefully they get some guys back, but until they do, you don't really have a lot of options. You just kind of – he's the best of, you know, some so-so options. And I think the other part of this is that LSU hasn't swept anybody yet. Okay. Uh, part of this is they have played played some good teams, um, and that and their schedule down the stretch is the easiest in the back half of not just any of the contenders, but anyone in the conference, right? Based on winning percentage, so it should you know there's opportunities there to to gain some ground in the in the conference race, whether you. You care about the conference race or you're really focused on getting that number one overall seat because those two really don't have to align. Um, and But the part of that is, how, or can you sweep somebody when you're not getting good starts? You're just going to be in shootouts. And the offense is, hey, we're, we're up for a shootout, but it's tough to win two games a weekend that way. Um, so that's fascinating to, to see how this – quote, super team that's gone through a a rash of of pitching injuries, can the offense just uh, carry them? Because that's that's what it's going to be. I I, I did think I'd like to bring up one thing from 
the the rubber game, did you see how the winning run was scored? Uh, it was two. It was runners on first and second. They intentionally walked Dylan Cruz, so advanced the runners in a tie game to load the bases because they didn't want to pitch to him. Which which hey, he's getting getting hit half his plate appearances. I kind of understand it. You just don't see that very often where you advance the runners with an intentional walk. And then the next batter, uh, Tommy White, gets hit by a pitch. So it's uh, the winning run or go-ahead run at that point is is scored on a bases-loaded hit batsman after an intentional walk. It's, that it's you know, all the old-school baseball people are you know, have to be, you know, pulling their hair out over that. But it's, you know, it's part of the game. It's part of the strategy. If it works, you know, he pops up. You're, you're, you're genius. If you hit him, well, you just pitch got away. It's just that's just baseball, but it's, it was kind of a, a fascinating end that you don't really see that often. Yeah, it was. I, I, yeah. I, I appreciate it. If for no other reason, it was an interesting zig when a lot of people would have just yeah. played that straight up. So, and I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, we have the result in hand now, like you said, yeah. but um, yeah, but I, I, I don't think it was the, certainly wasn't the worst idea. Ideally you'd have someone other than Tommy white as the hitter yeah. behind, behind yeah. him uh, from Kentucky standpoint, but <laughs> The only thing I will say is it felt like there wasn't, and I'd have to go back and look at the game logs, but it felt like there wasn't a lot of quality strike throwing being done right then for Kentucky. And so like, that was the only part, even in the moment where I was kind of like, uh, you know, it's not like the guy had been, they'd been pounding the zone. So that was the only thing that worried me a little bit is that the forcing in a runner, whether through walk or hit by pitch or wild pitch felt more on the table <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than otherwise it would be. But again, a, a guy who's, getting a hit roughly 50% of the time he comes to the plate that does, I mean, in a, in a very literal sense, not just in a colloquial sense that changes the math for what you're expecting out of that guy. And, and certainly he's capable of putting a ball in the gap and then they, you would have really been, you know, in, in some trouble. So yeah, it was an interesting move. Uh, you know, I, I tip my cap to them for thinking outside the box and being willing to do something like that, that they know is going to be criticized if, it doesn't work, which it didn't. And and so that's, you know, you live with it, but yeah, I, I thought that was, that was really fascinating. I, I agree. The, with LSU, that thing, I agree that we're kind of waiting for them to, to dominate in this way. And, and I'm also with you that currently constructed, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to really be able to be that kind of team because they are going to have to live this kind of stressful life of, of just kind of being able to outscore folks and, a lot of people are in that same boat, which I think serves them well. This is not a, there's a lot of arm strength and a lot of talent, but this is not a banner year really nationally, but not a banner year in the sec for pitchers. Right. Um, You know, there are some great examples. Don't get me wrong, but you know, the list is pretty short of guys who have 100% lived up to or exceeded expectations as front end starters in the sec. So it's just an offensive league this year and is trending that way just generally. So, you know, LSU can win games that way. But the other the other little thing to watch, though, is that, you know, there was a time not so long ago that they were, LSU was, you know, absolutely, to use the coaching cliche, dominating the routine play defensively. And that has started to slip, too. Like, they've shown some cracks defensively, and you just wonder if that's the kind of thing that is now starting to, water is starting to find its level on that, maybe. And, and maybe part of it is because the opposition is putting the ball in play more often. You know, maybe that's yeah. a, a part of it here, more hard contact. Uh, so yeah. something to something to monitor moving forward. Yeah, something you said kind of caught my ear there. I mean, just the lack of 
establish consistency on the mound. And certainly we, ha- we are long on velocity and we are short on pitchability. Okay. And you have, we've never had guys throwing this many guys throwing high nineties. Okay. Never had you know, such, you know, incredible breaking balls, but people just can't, they can't put them where they want to. And that's the problem. Right. And, and that's where you're seeing this just lack of consistency. And the other part of this, and, and this is a Pandora's box I'm opening, is that I don't recall ever hearing this much griping about the strike zone. Uh, mm. This is, you know, everyone likes to complain, hey, the umpires are against us, against my team and the, the other team, you know, they bought them off or whatever you want to say. But um, we, we are seeing quite a bit of um, inconsistency, we'll call it, behind the plate where it's a strike one pitch and it's a ball the next. And, and at the end of the game, no one really knows where the strike zone is. We just played nine innings. We should know this by now. And th- that's the part that's, that's troubling because that goes into the quality of the game. Hey, the whole human element is part of it, but it, it's got to be consistent. Okay. If you're giving the, the low and outside strike, you, you got to give it there for nine guys. You can't give it there sometimes and not others and, and let the players adjust to it. And that's, that's the complaint I'm hearing repeatedly, um, even more so. You always get it some, but I think it's, it's ramped up. Maybe it's the technology. Maybe it's track man. Maybe people are going back and looking at the statistics, but, but uh, it's, it's at a fever pitch. Yeah, it's, I mean, it feels like we should, and I know you agree with this, we'll give the caveat on the front end, like umpiring, especially at home plate, is hard, man. Like, that's yeah. a hard job. Yeah. And so that caveat aside, you and I don't disagree with you. I, I hear that a decent amount too, but one of the other things about the strike zone that I've heard that's different than that is that perhaps because these umpires are being graded out much more closely than they used to, which is a good thing that we have oh, the, the tools to, to do that now, that they are kind of by just naturally calling a smaller zone. hundred um, percent. You know, I've heard, and I forget the details, so I'll be, I'll be vague about it. Cause I don't want to say a name of, of where I heard this. And then it turns out I gave the stat wrong, but I heard from someone that, you know, there were basically, you know, in, in a given game, there was X number of incorrect pitches called that should balls that were, should have been strikes or vice versa. And basically in every single case, it was a, a strike that was called a ball, not the other way around. And so when we talk about, you know, these walks being at, at just kind of look, feels like a, a high level and, and I don't have the data to back that up, but that's something I'm hearing too. You and I have talked about it. So in light of that, and then hearing feedback like that, you know, it, it does make you kind of raise your eyebrows of like, okay, maybe, maybe there is something happening here. That's maybe it's not just that we have all these, pitchers who throw hard but have no pitchability, although maybe that's a part of it. It may also just be that that we are just working with a with the smaller zone, generally speaking. So Yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean it's I've been I've been listening to people gripe about strike zones my whole life. And this is mm. the most. This is the most I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um let's <laughs> speaking of pitching, let's talk Mississippi State <laughs> Ole Miss, which is yeah. something that uh I can kind of actually say honestly which is something i would i would only have said sarcastically 
up to this point of the season. But last weekend, Mark, you, you were down in Starkville for Super Bulldog Weekend and saw two teams that for most of the weekend pitched pretty yeah. well. So I will, as I say all the time, I will clear the paint and, and yeah. let you go. Just tell we'll us what we to ought to know about this series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess first off, yeah, the the last two national champions, bitter rivals. It was beautiful weather all three days. They had Super Bulldog weekend. They set an attendance record for Saturday. It was well attended throughout uh, the atmosphere uh, inside the stadium, especially on Saturday, was as good as any you'll find. It was it was just incredible. It was a postseason atmosphere. And, and maybe better than most, I would think, just because of how how bad you didn't want to lose, right? And when you think about Mississippi State, it's a proud program. They've been waiting for something to cheer about. They've been getting kicked around a little bit early, early this season. So to have that moment, to get the walk-off hit on Saturday, you know, they had the NCA record attendance, it it was quite the scene. I mean, you can hear yourself. You, know, you couldn't talk to the person next to you and 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 be heard. It was that kind of atmosphere. And the really the last few innings of that game was like was like that. As for the play on the field, uh I'll start with Ole Miss. Uh Ole Miss got three pretty good starts. Got a really good start on on Friday from Doherty probably his best start of SEC play anyway, maybe his best start all year, considering the opponent and the stage. He was really good, and Morrell was was good behind him. And that's really the that's really the only bullpen arm that, that Bianco can, can rely on at this point. Saturday was a meltdown. They, they tried several guys, and nobody could throw strikes. The crowd got to them, uh, you know. <laughs> it's it, it was loud. It was a big moment, and they just they just don't have enough. I mean, they had it. They had they were in the game on Sunday, and the bullpen just couldn't could not hold it there. Um, that's the difference right now. They're an arm or two short. Hunter Elliott is supposedly gonna gonna pitch in some form next week uh, against LSU. So that will be you know just having those innings will help uh, whether whether he can be an opener and work back up or pitch out of the pen, assuming, you know, all that happens. But the other thing about Ole Miss, that the top, say, five in that lineup are as good as anybody. Uh, and and they got some big hits on Saturday to, to, uh, to really push themselves ahead, and then the bullpen couldn't hold the lead. Right. But they got the big hits Sunday. They had the opportunities and couldn't get the big hits. And that's, you know, that's the difference. Sometimes that margin for error is so small. You get the wrong guys up or a guy up uh, who just can't, you know, doesn't have you know, baseball's a game of failure. You just don't, don't have your success at the right moment. And that's the difference. They still haven't won a series and they were so close. They could have won any of those games this weekend and, and didn't. There's not a lot of difference between them and Mississippi State or, you know, or heck, probably half the teams in the conference. But they're, they're just not getting the big hit, and they're certainly not getting the big late game out. Okay, And because of that, they're in such a big hole 
I mean, you you really at three wins halfway through, you've got to go on some run. You really got to go. Maybe if you went nine and six, and because you were playing so well late, you know, you win the the right nine. Um, maybe you could go into Hoover with a chance, but I, I just don't see this team being consistent enough to be able to go on a run like that. So that's going to be challenging. In the other dugout, Mississippi State has found found them something. Uh, Dakota Jordan has, re, you know, he had came in with high expectations and, and kind of struggled a little bit with the transition to the college game. Right now, he's he's playing at another level, and he gives that lineup so much, uh, that middle of the order, so much thump with, with Hunter Hines and Ledbetter and and Luke Hancock. The, all those guys are, are really difficult to pitch to. And that offense is it's humming. However, the offense was was pretty good early in the year. The difference is now they're getting people out. Uh, getting Smith back on on Friday, they stretched him out a little bit. He, you know, he, he able to go seventy something pitches, I believe, and, and and they were good. They were good innings. And and then Sanja on Sunday. Uh, that was the best he has thrown, and he was back to switch pitching, um, which was which is kind of cool to watch if you haven't watched him. Uh, and, and he was good. I mean, he's he's still not very economical with his pitches. Um, he throws a lot, but but he was good. And it's just kind of you know, as a freshman, a young guy hadn't played a lot. Um, and he's there's a lot of preparation for him, you know. He's working both both arms, and it's just a different different dynamic there. So that all of that is is part of you know a long winded answer to say Mississippi State is not the same team that they were when they were getting thumped by Kentucky and and Vanderbilt. They've taken a step both offensively and uh, pitching wise, and with Nixon and Dome at the end of the game. They they can hold the lead, and that's the difference between them and their rival across the state. I think you know because Mississippi State uh, has kind of they're playing with a little more uh, momentum and and belief at this point. I, I like their chances to make a run and and to make this interesting late. I don't know if there's too big a hole yet, but I think I think the last couple of weeks of the season they're going to be in position to 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 decide their fate and i wouldn't have thought that say three weeks ago but i i'm I'm a believer now after seeing them this weekend if they could go back and have a do-over for some of those earlier series i I think i think the outcomes would be would be different i don't believe they they would be swept um and you know i I think you know that one or two game difference uh, that might be what does the man at the end but also you know the committee it's not just blind to metrics. They can look at the team on the field and make some determinations based on how a team is performing, you know, towards the end of the year. So I think they actually have a shot. And whew, I would not have thought that a few weeks ago. I, I'm with you. I mean, it, it just kind of goes to show that sometimes – and on the field, the return of Cade Smith and Aaron Nixon has has been huge, mm-hmm. but – I think there's also just kind of a, like a bit of an emotional lift that comes with that, where you feel like you're more at full strength. Everyone maybe relaxes a little more. There's less, less on players. So 
I think there's some value in that. Getting like Dakota Jordan hot is, has been huge. It feels like they they really know who their guys are offensively and have that core humming. Um, so that, that's that's been huge. And I, I wonder with Sanja, I mean, there was a strategic reason to have him throw with both hands again against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a fairly left-handed lineup, so having him be able to go left on left, there, there was some value there. But But I also just do wonder, and he's been pitching with both hands for so long, I just wonder if there's something to that just feels more correct to him. I mean, they, they would know better than I would hundred yeah. percent, but so I do part, wonder if that was something. Part of it is this was the most he had thrown left-handed. Um, Cause you know, most high school people bat right-handed. So he, he was, and there was some velocity dip and, you know, they took a week, couple weeks off and also let's just focus, you know, my, his velocity is really good right-handed. Let's just focus on one thing right now. You know, we're not having success where we are. Let's let's change it. And just trying to, you know, that's, that's what Lamonis and Fox Hall were trying to do. Just, all right, there's a lot going on. You're a freshman. You're a switch pitcher. You're, you're pitching on Friday nights in front of, you know, 12,000 people. Well, let's just slow this down a little bit and and focus on and try to control the and break it into modules right and and i think that that was very wise to be able to 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 slow it down and now i mean obviously it worked one week we'll see what happens you know as as, as we move forward but he was really good on a big stage rubber game rivalry weekend i mean the place was really full lot loud it was it's a big moment for for a young kid to 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 excel in and he was he was up to the challenge and the, the the upshot of all that is that to your to your earlier point mississippi state now has a, a path they're, they're going to have to make up some ground still but but they do they do have a path like they're i mean they, they have the same conference record as tennessee believe yeah. it or not so i mean they they do have a path and, and old miss is officially out of slack i mean that that's just the reality of the situation that there things are going to have to drastically change. And perhaps in the same way that Cade Smith provided a little bit of a pickup for state, yeah. perhaps Hunter Elliott coming back will be a little bit of a pickup for Ole Miss, but we will have to see on that. Alabama got its first SEC series win, um, which is kind of funny to say because they've just been so competitive in like in every series, basically they could have won any of them. It felt like and, and never had my, my kind of big things here is one Garrett McMillan coming back first time they've asked him to really extend and he was great five innings one hit no runs didn't walk anybody um you know he was our sec extra pitcher of the week just not just for the stats but also what that signified to alabama because look after friday's game when they get beat by auburn and auburn gets arguably its best start of the season from tommy vale they so alabama loses that game they're already without ben hess for right now News comes out, Mark, you you wrote about this, like Grayson Hit is now on the shelf and there's general pessimism, I would say, about that, about yeah. his his prognosis, although nothing official. So like morale could not have been great after game one of the series. And yet Alabama comes back in game two, thanks to Garrett McMillan in game three, thanks to a really good team pitching effort. Uh, you know, they use three guys kind of use them all relatively equally and and won the series and my my big picture point for alabama is that we are now seeing the value of not getting swept we say it all the time but i think alabama is the living breathing example of the benefit you get from not being swept because now they're six and nine 
and that's that's palatable. Um, they've got Missouri coming up now. It's on the road, and Missouri is frisky at, at, at Taylor Stadium. But that's a winnable series for Alabama. Obviously, you win that series, you're eight and ten. Okay, you know you're you're starting to to build your way back, and just picking up single wins in those series where they could have easily gotten swept. Um, and other teams have gotten swept by some of those teams is now starting to kind of pay off because Alabama is not, I mean, not even close to being dead in the water here. I mean, they've, they've got a, a, yeah. a pretty straightforward path. Yeah, it's, it, it's available. It's a great point on McMillan. Cause let me tell you what, after that Friday game, they, the morale had to be, you know, as bad as it could be. You lose to your rival and you lose badly. It was eight to nothing going into the ninth inning. I mean, they got thumped. And then you hand the ball to a guy who's been injured. He's only thrown two, two and a third all year. And he goes out, pitches very efficient. This was a graduate student, an older kid who could have could have been done playing baseball, but instead came back and gutted it out and gave you five. Was it five or six? Anyway, a quality start. Yeah, five five innings and kept his pitch count down. So he because he only had so much runway. And and that was that was huge. He gave him one hit. I mean, those those are the kinds of things that if you go on and you have success and you make the postseason, you look back at that moment and as a as a potential turning point. So can't, can't overstate how important that was uh, for, for that team. Then you look at Auburn. All we've said all year is that, you know, Auburn can really hit, and I'm worried about their pitching. Well, this weekend they pitched fine. They didn't lose the series because because of pitching. They didn't get a great start on Saturday, but the bullpen picked them up, and they pitched fine. They just you know they, 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 we talked about Alabama a little little thin due to injury on the on the mound and they could not take advantage of it. And that's, that's a problem. I think um, for, because, you know, they've got a huge series coming up on Mississippi state. We just talked about how Mississippi state's on top of the world. They're feeling great about their chances and they really need to keep this momentum going or their, you know, or their season's done. Well, Auburn's kind of in that they've got to circle the wagons right here. They, they've got to find a way to win this series because uh, you know, they're, while they're five and ten, I guess um, they're not really playing with the kind of confidence or energy that I, I think will make us believe that they're going to go on a run. I, like I could see Mississippi State going on a run. I don't know that I see that with Auburn because I, I just don't know that their their consistency on the mound is where it needs to be. Um, but then offensively, they're in, they're kind of dipped right now, and that was the one thing that w- that had been consistent. So, you know, may- maybe maybe they maybe Alabama pitched well. I don't know. I didn't see it, but that that would be the concern for me. Uh, that, that Auburn, you know, we still don't know anything if if Gonzalez can give them anything this year, and uh, they had those injuries early, but the, the offensive guys are back, so. It's just a question of they, they've got to perform. And, you know, the schedule's the schedule's the schedule in the SEC, man. Every week's tough. So they, I think they've got to find, you know, they've got to go eight and seven maybe. 
they can go eight and seven, then they're in the conversation. Uh, seven and eight, and you got to do something in Hoover, and maybe it may have to do a lot. So it's, you know, it's it, it's it's a tough path. Starts this weekend for Auburn. You mentioned the Mississippi State series. Both teams there, five and ten in the league, and it feels like the team that comes out of that series having won it is going to feel pretty doggone good mm-hmm. um, about about their prospects moving forward. And and so, yeah, that's a that's a, that's a big one. It's not going to be a marquee series nationally by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. within the the context of the SEC, it's it's certainly a, a big one for both teams. Florida yeah. got pushed by Georgia. Uh, yeah. Georgia wins a wild game in the in the opener there where they they got to Florida's bullpen in a big way got to Brandon Neely who's been so good for for Florida this year and Georgia really showed the the, the ceiling of its offense there I thought like this is what their offense can do to a team um, they, they hadn't done as much of that lately so it was I think good for Georgia to kind of show that off and you know Georgia's figured out a couple things in the mound I mean Charlie Goldstein has been good the last couple <laughs> weeks that? and kind of settled into the Sunday role maybe. And um, so that, that, that's something certainly, I think they still have a lot of questions to answer otherwise. Um, But assuming Georgia was going into this weekend and and the expectation was not winning the series, they, they took care of business by getting a game there. Uh, You can throw Georgia onto the, into the group of teams that is kind of in a similar boat of if if you're going to do something, you got to start pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've played much better baseball the last couple of weeks, but but still certainly a lot of work to do there. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing with the Georgia deal is one that they gave Florida all they wanted. Those were three hotly contested games, and their best pitching performance was on the guy you know the revolving door candidate that's been pitching in that third spot all all year. And Goldstein's been good the last two weeks in a row. He's been been their best guy really you know it's it's hard to hard to fathom you know with all the consistent in, inconsistency they've had trying to fill out that rotation and then offensively that you know they're good it's just a question of can they close games out because the bullpen is you know there's a lot of options but again there there's you don't know what you're getting week to week um i think for florida uh, Cags, man. I mean, I think I think there were some some goobers on the the Highway to Hoover podcast that were talking about he should be pitching out of the bullpen just to 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 change change things up. Well, he was really good, but on the mound Sunday, uh, didn't didn't really have control problems. I think he walked two, which you know, some some starts he's getting that in the first inning. So. And then obviously they're, uh, you know, he, Sunday he put on a show at the plate, you know, with the two bombs and the grand slam and the and the whole uh, trot or the the stone faced non celebration celebration. Um, I I think that the other part of this is Sprout and Waldrop were both really good, and 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 Cags was good. That's where they want to be. The bullpen is still, you know, some days it's really, really what you want, and other days maybe not so much. And 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 honestly, that's probably where most teams are. There's not a lot of shutdown guys out there, you know, unless you're Vanderbilt. So I think that's that's the thing for Florida. We know what they're going to get offensively, and if they if the starting pitching is 
is going to if if we see what we saw this past weekend, they're going to beat a lot of teams. Um, but it's going to be challenging. They, their schedule has not been tough right now. Uh, if you look at the the best SEC win uh, is six and nine Alabama. Okay, they have not played anybody better than that from a record standpoint. So that changes. So they're going to play all those teams in the East with those gaudy records. So we're going to find out. It is and I, you know I'm a believer. I, I think they're really good, but th- they're going to have to prove it. And and everyone in this league does. And their turn's coming. Obviously, one of the the most notable things coming out of this game was Brandon. Speaking of Brandon Neely, was ejected from Sunday's mm. game. Gets a big strikeout in the eighth inning. You know, looks at the Georgia dugout, pumps his fist and yells, come on, come on, and gets tossed for that. And the announcers gave a little context of apparently both teams had been warned. Okay, I mean, even in that context, it was an overstep, to to put it mildly, to to eject Neely in that moment. And there was no expletive thrown. He wasn't walking towards the Georgia dugout. Um, there is, so it just, it felt like a situation where things sped up on the umpire and, and, and he made an ejection that it probably shouldn't yeah. have been, um, got emotional. Yeah. yeah and it, it, our colleague, Mike Rooney made a good point uh, talking to him yesterday about he, he too agreed that it, it was a light ejection. Cause you know, especially in this day and age in college baseball, that celebration is extremely mild. Yeah. Um, you know, Jared Jones for LSU hit a home run and, <laughs> yelled expletives yeah. directly in the face of a Kentucky pitcher this past weekend and, and, yeah. and got off with the umpire just kind of telling Jay, going over to Jay Johnson, I think, and probably saying like, we, we can't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so what Neely did was really, really mild, but runes bigger point was that we do kind of put the umpires in a, in a tough position. This is, I guess the second time I've <laughs> caped up for umpires here, but, but in this case, I think it's, it makes sense that, they're getting kind of mixed messages as, as a unit where societally they're kind of being told, Hey, let the kids play. And I think if you ask umpires generally, like these guys aren't in the sport because they hate baseball. Most of them played at a pretty high level. Um, so they get it. Uh, and so I, I, I would think if you pulled them, they would say like, yeah, we, we want to let these guys do what they do and get excited and, and, and all that. And, and, I think there's more of that in the game than ever. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Like I, I am very much pro crap talking <laughs> like to, to, to an extent. And so I'm for that, but we're so umpires have that pressure, but they're also being told by their bosses, Hey, you, it's your job to keep this game under control. Yeah. And that's a hard balance to strike. And I think in some cases, runes point was we're giving them an impossible task, which is like, let them, you know, talk mess to each other and celebrate and, and do this and that, but also keep it under control. And it's like, okay, well, what does that even mean? And so, um, you know, runes was like, I almost wonder if the, the, the better idea is just like telling umpires, like, this is not your job, like leave it to the coaches, tell the coaches. It is your, the expectation that you guys need to police yeah. your own dugouts. And if yeah. things get ramped up here, if things get too heated and something bad happens, that's, that's on you. Like it is your job to police your own dugout. So, you know, anyway, that that's a long winded thing, but the ejection on Neely was just quite been an ejection. Yeah. Yes. Should not have been an ejection full stop. 
Um, but especially as he's walking off the field, I mean, there's nothing else going to happen. Okay. He's leaving the field and it's kind of like on your way out here, take this ejection with you. That, that, yeah, that, that bothers me. I could see yeah. if, if you're inciting and you see something building and you want to stop it before it gets worse and, th- and that's your way to do it. But, oh my goodness. I mean, we, we yeah. see, we see some, some really crazy stuff that obviously I'm not a fan of. Right. And, and it, it's just fine. But then you have a guy who's just come on and flexes a little bit and he gets tossed. I mean, yeah, it's, it's consistency. That's what we want, right? What are the rules and, and where's the line to cross? And if you cross it, you're gone. Um, but it seems like everybody's lines in a different place and we erase it and move it. And, and so no one knows where the line is. Final series of the weekend, Texas A&M wins a series against Missouri. This was a Thursday-Saturday series. First two games, frankly, weren't particularly competitive. A&M just kind of boat raced Missouri. The, the pitching injury woes for Missouri, which are, are ongoing, um, you know, kind of showed up there in the way that, that uh, A&M swung the bat in the, in the first couple of games. And then Missouri... You know, Missouri didn't get swept, and, and they're another 5-10 and 10 team in the SEC. And with a home series against Alabama, oh, by the way, I mean, if they win that and they're 7-11 in the league, again, that's that's a path. It's a hard path, but it's a path. So yeah. they're, they're kind of in that boat with all those teams we've talked about. And um, I'll be interested to see – so I'll be in, in Lexington. I'm going to Knoxville and Lexington this weekend. A&M's got Kentucky on the road, and that feels like a really big series for A&M. Um, to kind of see where they are because it feels like it's, it's a little bit hard to figure out exactly where they are at, at this point in time. Mm-hmm. The, the offense is, is, is clearly continuing to heat up, but they still have pitching problems. You know, very clearly they went with an opener situation. Well, I don't know how long they were going to stick with Carson Lambert in the finale, but that he served as an opener as it was, and it didn't, didn't go particularly well. And, um, you know, a, uh- yeah, there was no yes, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was an <laughs> O and like maybe part of the P. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Precisely. And, you know, and Detmer continues to give them some length in games, but not a lot of quality, uh-huh. yeah. to be honest. And so there's a lot of questions to ask there. So it's a tough road series against a, a really, against a really good Kentucky team. And um, th- I think there's just going to be, we're, we're going to get some questions answered this weekend for, for the Aggies. That's, that's not a good matchup for A&M. If, if you can't throw strikes and uh, Kentucky's going to put pressure on you and they're going to maximize those opportunities, that to me is – that's tailor-made for Kentucky. So, of course, A&M will sweep now since I said that. But I, I think that's the – you know, just looking at looking at the two teams, what they do well and what they don't. But the other side of that is A&M's really hitting the ball. And they're hitting the ball out of the park and they've got multiple guys doing it and it's throughout the lineup. And they're going to be a problem for every pitching staff out there. So, or you remember early in the year they were, you know, they were down there with Vanderbilt pre-conference as the the two teams that 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 weren't that offensive. And boy, both of those teams have, have shot up and are they're, they're dangerous offensively. And I think the deal with A and M is they're not just getting hits, but they're they're hitting a lot of home runs. But the pitching is a mess. It really is. They they don't have a lot of. Uh, I don't know, can, week to week, um, you know, I hate to use the word consistency again, we're coming back to it, but that's that's kind of the recurring theme of the podcast. 
Uh, it's, but the other side of that for Missouri, they, they had to get that one, that, that third game, and they did. But they've played pretty well at home. They, they, if they can go home and and win the series from Alabama, they, it's, it's, they have the same path, right? That that these other teams that we've talked about, they're they're in position. So it makes some of these. You talked about Auburn and Mississippi State, you know, Alabama, Missouri. I think, you know, A and M could get get back into the hosting mix if they go to Kentucky and win. Kentucky's the number one RPI. A and M's problem is conference wins and RPI. Yeah, well, you could address both next weekend. So uh, that you know, there, there's a lot of fascinating series that are not going to be taking place at the top of the standings. Uh, we we got some of those too, but it's it's really really shaping up as a fun week. Should be, yeah. I'm once again, I I will be Lexington and in Knoxville, hoping to see some some good baseball. They're hoping the weather the weather looks not awful, but like a little bit dicey. So we'll have to see. Seems like we've had a lot of that. I was, I was, t- Mark and I were talking off air about at least where I'm at out here on the East Coast. We've been stuck in a cycle where the weather's pretty good from Monday through Thursday, and then all of a sudden the weekend comes around and the weather takes a turn. So, hoping to to break that cycle a little bit this weekend. But the second half of SEC play gets underway this weekend. Certainly, uh, as I said at the top, a lot of things are becoming clearer. Some other things are becoming blurrier, and we will have to sort it out over the next five weeks. And the highway to Hoover will eventually end. Uh, not this podcast, but the, the actual physical highway because, you know, Hoover, don't look now, six weeks away from from being in Hoover at Rock's Gap Brewing Company for our live show, May 22nd, 7 p.m. Tickets 15 bucks. Uh, we will have the links out there where you can find them and uh, get your tickets quickly. I, I anticipate uh, optimistic. I'm optimistic. We will sell out the room. It's not that big a room. So, you know, if you want to go make sure you get your tickets early and don't really dawdle around, I don't anticipate having any to just um, sell at the door. For example, I don't anticipate that being a thing. So if you want to go make sure you get on it and join Mark and I at the event that is going to do it for this episode of highway to Hoover presented as always by Brock's gap brewing company. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Mark for joining me. As always, we'll talk to y'all soon. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.